Hey guys, Mike here. Hey, on this episode, I talked to Alex Cummins with AB Wingman. Alex is not just AB Wingman. Alex is a muskox guide. Alex is a waterfowl guide. Alex is a truck driver. Alex is a family man. Alex owns a bear guide service and lodge. Um, I mean, the dude, he... He's starting a Delta chapter uh, in Alberta, Delta Waterfowl. Um, oh, they they have a TV show out now on the Sportsman's Channel, uh, the future of conservation, um, featuring his his father and his daughter. And uh, his daughter kills like 136 inch eight points uh, for her first deer, and slaughters geese and ducks. Um, just. Just everything, guys. This guy has his hands. Uh, Revolution, uh, Revolution Armory. Uh, just has his hands in everything outdoors. And uh, busy, busy guy up there in Alberta. So I really hope you guys enjoy this one. Uh, a lot of cool information on this one. Thanks. What's up, guys? Hey, I recently had Sean with Swamp Stick on the podcast, and we talked about a super cool product. The Swamp Stick is a very versatile piece of equipment for your waterfowl set. Uh, this thing can be taken every single day and used in 10 different ways. Um, put your motion de decoys on it at different heights. Um, it's extendable. Put your gear on it. Hang your gun on it. You can get a plethora of attachments for this thing if you guys would like you can get 10 percent off exclusively here on mountain and marsh all caps m a m p 10 that'll get you 10 percent off at checkout swamp-stick.com that's m a m p 10 that's all capitals check them out on facebook instagram tiktok you know the deal Hey everybody, Mike here. I'm here with Alex from AB Wingman. Alex, uh, how you been doing, man? Hey, I'm good, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Uh, I know our schedules have been we've been trying to link up and do this for quite a while, and our schedules just haven't worked out. So I have patience and having me back on. Yeah, man. I actually started a second podcast, and so um, I've been doing everything bi-weekly now, and. So it wasn't a big deal that you had to reschedule. It was no big deal, man. I uh, I'd rather wait it out. You're 
you're like the uh the hunting world's most interesting man i i swear like you're always doing <laughs> something so yeah i got uh got quite a bit on the go here probably if you ask my wife i got way too much on the go but um it's all good things so we'll <laughs> we'll struggle through being a little too busy for a little while and get through it all anyway um why don't we start out uh tell everybody how cold it is right now up north because i know my buddies will all complain about how cold it is this winter while we're duck hunting yeah so we've had a really cold winter so far um the last four or five days here um all of our school buses have been shut down uh there was two days that they even closed all of the schools um daytime like ambient temperature highs are right about minus 40 maybe a little bit one or two degrees warmer than that and then with the wind chill values we're at about minus you know 48 some places minus 51 so pretty cold yeah man that's that's brutal up north um i mean i know you guys you guys have a lot uh a plethora of um wildlife to dive into up there but man it gets brutal it's it's like the uh, it's like a handoff you guys get to shoot 20 hours at a clip i get to shoot two but i get to feel my feet when i go outside so it's different <laughs> that's right <laughs> we did a couple late season hunts down in even in southern alberta um honker hunts in the snow there and it was cold. Like we were, you know, bundled up like the marshmallow man. <laughs> Swinging a shotgun isn't real smooth when you've got 14 layers on to try and stay warm, but it's worth it in the end. <laughs> that is one thing you guys do tear up some birds. And uh, this year was no different. You guys, every time you posted a picture, every day, I'm like, oh my gosh, again. Like it just kept, it kept happening. You guys just kept tearing oh, up. Oh, we had, we had a really good season. Um, I wasn't home for a whole that I was doing some guiding for another guy. Uh, so basically the entire month of September and October, I was out watching other people shoot instead of getting to pull the trigger myself. But um, we went out three or four times. Just, just clicked the times that we were able to get out. At um, three of those times, we actually shot birds in the same field. And those three shoots that we did in that same field we shot over 150 birds out of the same field so it was pretty cool yeah that's really awesome so you were working with a waterfowl guide um i mean what's what's all that like i didn't know that you were i didn't realize you were working with a waterfowl guy i just saw you posting pictures all the time of all these birds yeah well any of the stuff that i posted was my own stuff um we don't post anything from the waterfowl guiding stuff just because of confidentiality stuff with his clients. So we don't post too much of that, but um, it's, it's a grind, man. Um, every morning we're up by like three, four o'clock in the morning, um, traveling anywhere from five minutes away from the lodge to an hour away from the lodge, depending on where the birds are feeding. And then, you know, a good hour of setup time before daylight, uh, and then same thing again in the afternoon. And we ran two different lodges pretty much the whole season. So there was five of us guides. There was two guys guiding constantly. And the other three guys were scouting constantly. And so we just kind of rotate through. But three guys on the road 
chasing birds, lining up fields and fugues with the groups of hunters out for two months straight. Uh, speaking of guiding, uh, there's a lot of that going around in your world. And earlier this year, you kind of did something that I really wanted to touch on because for one, I know nothing of the sort, but two, I don't think many people do. And that's, you got, you were guiding muskox hunts and where, where is this located and, and what's the place that you were, you were working for? Okay, so this was probably the trip of a lifetime for me. Um, Aylmer Lake Lodge is where we were, which is way up in the Northwest Territories. We're about 200 miles north of Treeline. Um, drove up to Yellowknife and then hop on a float plane, and it's just about a two-hour float plane ride from Yellowknife to the northeast into the lodge. That area up there is so desolate. I, I don't think people realize like where it's, I mean, it's just wilderness. It's all it is up there. Yeah, there's nothing. Like there's, there's no trees. The only cover is rock. Um, there's basically no food. The only, there's some um, tiny like little ground shrubs and lichens and stuff like that that grow. Uh, really low bush blueberries. But I mean, it's, like it is the tundra you are a long ways from any type of civilization you there's no noise like you don't hear any traffic there's not even a plane that flies over um the only plane that you hear is when your full plane comes in to bring supplies or swap hunters out once a week other than that there's no other noise other than the noise that we are making there um the lake that we are on is 1,700 miles of shoreline, and we are the only lodge there. Uh, when you're out in the middle of the lake, it's just like being in the ocean. You can't see shore. Um, water is anywhere from 110 feet deep uh, to, like, 40 deep. It's um, completely different up there than any other lake because of you're on the tundra, so it's like an underground mountain underneath of that water so super dangerous if you don't know what you're doing um in literally two boat lengths out in the middle of the lake you can go from 100 feet of water to four feet of water man i've never uh i never thought about that i I, I guess up there there is no sediment built up so it it doesn't have any sort of dirt bottom i never really thought of that no there's the odd little spot that there's a little bit of a sandy beach that you can get a boat beached on. But I mean, it's basically solid rock everywhere. Um, crystal clear, pristine water. Um, in 40 feet of water, you can see right to the bottom and it looks like you're in six feet of water. It's just incredible. That's our only source of drinking water up there is the lake. And it's the, <laughs> the most pure water you can drink. There's no pollution no um livestock ranches or anything like that so it is like crystal clear the odd bird might poop in it and some fish but other than that it is pure clean water um they do uh they do some fishing trips up there don't they yeah so fishing is a huge part the first month that we're there um we guide fishermen out and it is probably one of the best lake trout fisheries in North America, for sure, but possibly in the world. 
um, on a daily basis, we're catching 40 pound lake trout out of that water. Yeah. I'd imagine it's a, uh, it's a perfect habitat for, for trout in general, just that crystal clear water, cold. It just, it feels very like trout. Yeah, it's unreal. There's the odd Arctic grayling. We do some Arctic grayling fishing and some of the shallower um, little streams and stuff that come off of the lake. But other than that, it's all lake trout. There's no pike there, nothing. It's just huge lake trout. And some of those big fish are upwards of 70 or 80 years old. We caught one this summer. The biggest one we caught was 67 pounds. And they figured that that fish was around 80 years old. That is crazy. I didn't realize that they lived that long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They are. They're almost dinosaurs down there. Uh, so, I mean, tell everybody about the hunting. I mean, you, this is when I saw that you were going muskox hunting, it blew my mind. Cause I was like, I didn't realize, like, I don't know why I just had it in my head that muskox were like in Russia or that they were somewhere so far away because no, I never saw anybody hunting them. So when you were going to do it, I was like kind of taken aback. I'm like, oh, he's he's going up and he's in like Canada and he's he's hunting muskox. I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, muskox hunting is big in Greenland. Um, this is the first year that they opened it to non-resident hunters up in the zone that we were in. So pretty cool to get in on the initial season up there. Um, I guess for people that don't know, the easiest way for me to explain what a muskox is is basically an arctic bison so they're a thousand pound animal they have great big woolly hides um we were in the summer so they weren't really haired up then but i mean this time of year it's minus 50 minus 60 up there and they have huge long shaggy coats of hair and then great big horns that come out um, they have like a big skull plate across their forehead that's called their boss, and then it curls right tight to their head and then loops out almost like a cow horn on the big bulls. Yeah, they are something to see. I mean, I, I remember from a hunting game when I was a kid, um, there was like a very rudimentary hunting game, and it was uh, like PlayStation 1 or something like that. And I, I remember there being a a muskox on it and i didn't even know what a muskox was at that point like not through any any wildlife book or anything and i'd always thought that they were so cool but that's I, that's kind of why i thought they were just really far away because my dad never <laughs> yeah. talked about muskox like nobody talks about muskox even caribou get yeah. talked about like not a muskox but yeah they're they are one they're heck of an animal oh they are and like just things that i didn't know either they carry 80% of their body mass on their front end and their front feet are twice the size of their back feet because of that. Um, the only, that's the only animal that I've ever really seen that has a considerable size difference like that in a hoofed animal anyway, from their front to their back feet. Um, the under wool that they grow in the winter time is called a caveat. And it is the third finest fiber in the world. And it is worth about $90 an ounce. Well, you're in you're in the right business. I mean, do, do the people do you guys eat eat them? I mean, are, what what's the deal with it? What is up with that? Yeah, so that's another interesting thing. The a muskox meat is considered a delicacy to 
certain cultures. Um, when the Queen of England visited Canada, they fed her muskox. And so it's kind of the easiest way to describe it. It's like it's a super lean meat. There's not much fat on them, and it's quite a red meat. Um, but again, same as any animal, if you get a big rutted up bull, it's probably not going to be the best tasting stuff. But um, we cut some back straps out and marinated them for 24 hours, and it was absolutely delicious. That's awesome. I, I was wondering that, like, uh, with the hides and stuff, when you guys are – is your are your clientele coming from – I feel like this is a very expensive trip, right? Your clientele are coming from, a, like, a long ways away? Yeah. Um, a lot of American hunters. We did have a couple Canadians that were there. Um, that, that's because you guys aren't allowed to ha have guns, so we can come up there and hunt. <laughs> yeah, <because. laughs> they're working. They're working real hard at that. <laughs> um, so yeah, really, really cool animal to hunt. Um, no cover, obviously, so it's not like you sneak through the trees to find them. So, uh, we cruise a lot in the boats and try and spot them from shore, and we do a lot of hiking. Um, I had a archery hunter up there. And we walked and walked and walked, kind of knew the general area that a herd was in. And then we finally found them, and they were about 600 yards that they could see us coming the entire way. And we just, you know, walked super slow, zigzag our whole way. If they stop eating and look up, we stop until they go back eating. And we worked our way in 40 yards, and my archery hunter shot one at 40 yards with his bow and arrow. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like if you're at the bar and uh, somebody's like, man, I just shot a 180-inch whitetail, and everybody in the bar is like, man, this guy is such a great hunter. And then the guy at the other end of the bar says, I shot a muskox at 40 yards with my Matthews. It's like, checkmate. Uh, mic drop, that's <laughs> yeah. it, and everybody's beating that guy. <laughs> well, and we were eight kilometers in from shoreline when we shot that guy, and it takes about six or seven hours. Um, you gotta cape them out right there. It's, uh, the head and the hide itself is too heavy to carry in one trip, so I mean, skin the thing out, and most of the time, skin it out for a life size mount for these guys. Um, cape it off of the head debone the entire thing right there in the middle of the tundra and then pack it out it was six trips eight kilometers in and out of there with between 100 and 150 pound pack on my back to get that thing back to the boat that is a lot of work to shoot one of those <laughs> it is intense man very intense and like tough terrain right you're not walking down a a groomed trail of any sort when you're going back to the boat you're up and down rock faces and if you're not on solid unlevel rocky ground you're in two feet of wet mossy crap in the bottom of a valley and it is very intense so do you think i mean i'm guessing you enjoyed this trip because it's it seemed to me from the outside looking in it seemed like you really enjoyed it Oh, man, I loved every minute of it. Kevin, the owner of the lodge up there, uh, absolutely fantastic guy. He's been in the outfitting business for 40-plus years. Um, 
the best way to explain my my time there and he actually made a facebook post about it he said i you know me and him only knew each other through through a social media connection and i landed on the beach up there as a complete stranger and i left his family it was just fantastic you think you're going to be doing it again absolutely i'm booked back in there for the entire summer next year <laughs> oh there you go well I, yeah so it's pretty pretty awesome well i think we actually we had we kept two tags so we were allocated 15 tags and we kept two tags so we're gonna go back up there and do a winter hunt here so in march we're set to go back up there and it will be you know completely different we'll be hunting on snowmobiles with emergency shelters behind us It'll be minus 50, minus 60 degrees, um, super dangerous. Um, but again, another experience of a lifetime. So do you, you, uh, obviously you've done this and you're doing the waterfowl guiding and stuff. Um, why don't you tell people a little bit about, uh, what you guys have going on, what your, uh, the, the antler hill system and what you guys are working yeah, on now. So, uh, if that wasn't enough getting involved with those other two wonderful outfitters um me and a buddy of mine purchased a bear camp and became outfitters ourselves um so we've been super busy setting up that as a new business um trying just starting to book some hunters in there now getting that all sorted out so we'll uh we'll be taking in 23 non-resident clients up there um, which is in Northern Alberta, super remote camp. Again, uh, there's no five star lodge there or anything. We're about four and a half or five hours North of Edmonton. Um, it'll all be outfitter tents out in the middle of the bush, um, hunting out of tree stands or ground blinds. All of our allocations are open allocations, so we can rifle hunt or archery hunt for every one of them. And it'll be over bait stations, so we'll set set up probably around 15 or so different bait sites um, in a big loop. And then we'll have trail cameras on each one to monitor the activity there. And then we'll bring in groups of four to five hunters at a time for a week-long hunt for about a month and a half that's really cool man congratulations that's like a it's a big step pretty exciting i actually i was managing the trucking company for the past 10 years and i just quit doing that now and gonna guide and outfit here full time so there'll be a couple months in the winter that i won't have anything on the go for a little bit so i a couple buddies of mine have trucking companies so i'll go help them drive a truck for a few months but basically just hunting and guiding full-time all year long now heck yeah man a lot of people dream of that you know it's a it's a, it's a big dream for a lot of people and you kind of made that come true um the black bear thing i mean you've done you've done black bear hunting for a long time so i uh just so yeah, everyone well, listening understands like you already know it isn't, yeah, isn't like you're jumping head head first into it no, I've been hunting them myself um, for 20 years and, well, 25 years, I guess. I 
older than I think that I am. Um, I learned from my grandfather too. So this is a three generation thing for us. Um, we did a lot of spot and stock hunting with him. Um, the baiting thing I've been doing for about five years now. So the area that we're in produces record book bears. Um, the bear population is thriving more than ever. It's actually becoming a problem uh, for residential centers. But I mean, we're, we're, we bought this camp right in the heart of some of the best black bear hunting for huge book bears. And I'm really excited about it. Heck yeah, man. Uh, speaking of family, uh, family hunting. Uh, so your daughter is, apparently like the next Jim Shockey and is killing all kind of stuff and <laughs> is, is also killing bigger bucks than everybody I know now. So yeah, she's, uh, she's coming up in the ranks pretty fast for how young she's, she's 12. Um, she's turning 13 here on January 10th, but, um, in Alberta, you can start hunting birds when you're 10 years old and then big game when you're 12. So this was her first fall that she was old enough to hunt big game. Um, just, she has it in her blood, man. She's not, she's not one of those kids that's just out there doing it to try and make her dad happy or anything like that. Like she wakes up in the morning and lives for it. Um, understands it like she's been doing it for 15 years. Uh, it is pretty proud of her, um, the big game hunting. She, we took her bear hunting this spring. She got a shot at a bear and didn't connect on him. Um, we, pretty emotional trip. Just me and her and, and her little sister went out there, stayed in a enclosed trailer and froze for a couple of days out the bush and just weren't quite able to seal the deal, but she just stayed so positive through it all. And then same this fall with whitetail season, um, got her, got her out there and had a little buck that my dad actually walked out to us. Um, first deer she had ever shot at the first time she had ever shot that rifle. Um, she shot, hit the deer. We had, a. it just about went down and then two steps and it was into a little patch of bush. We had a really good blood trail. Um, I thought we were going to find the deer 50 yards. And then literally half an hour after she shot, we had a blizzard roll in, dumped eight inches of snow on us, lost the blood trail. Uh, the wind was ridiculous for the following two or three days after that. And we walked miles and miles and miles trying to get another glimpse of them or find them. And we just, couldn't find them so again pretty disheartening she did everything so perfect um but she stayed positive uh, she didn't give up she didn't pout um probably a week and a half after that we had a really good buck that came out um she was at her mom's that day so she wasn't with us my dad had that deer at 80 yards and let it go um just we decided that that was Sawyer's buck. And, uh, well, three days after that, she came back. Um, we were driving around a little patch of bush, heard some shooting, 
went out to the road and some other guys had the buck out in the middle of a field and emptied their guns on it. Thankfully didn't, didn't hit it. Um, it got into some more bush, uh, that we had exclusive permission to hunt on. So me and her got set up kind of on a little bit of a fence line and about four feet of snow. We dug a little burrow out in there, um, where the game trail went through where I figured the buck would cross and dad and my uncle went in the bush to try and walk it out to us and we seen him coming up through the trees at about 75 yards and i said to her honey here he comes i said as soon as he jumps that fence you smoke him and his front feet didn't even hit the ground and she drilled him perfect he came right to us we she shot him at 27 yards with uh, with my mom's 243 uh browning lever action which is also really cool and he is a smoker of a buck. It's real nice. I guess you guys would call him an eight point down there. We, we just go by one side. So we call him four by four, but big eight point, heavy, wide, beautiful buck. Yeah, he's a, he's a good buck for anywhere. You know, that's a, when I saw the pictures the first time, I was like, oh, that's a nice buck. And then I saw it at a different angle like a week later. I was like, oh, well, that's a lot bigger of a deer than I initially realized. It's a, it's a super yeah, nice so he buck. scores. We had him scored. He scores one thirty six, um, which is pretty dang good for a for, for, first for an, buck for, for an eight buck. point. That is good. Not just a first buck. Like that's a good eight point. Yeah, yeah. So we have a local down in Calgary. I guess is kind of our biggest major center, and there's a SCI, so Safari Club International. They have a chapter there. So we had him scored by one of their official measures. And then they have a youth program where they give out an award every year for the biggest animal and then another award for a youth conservation ambassador. So we've got her entered in that. Um, I don't want to speak out of turn because they obviously haven't given the awards out, but She's got a real dang good chance at winning at least one, if not both, of those contests. So um, we got that big banquet to go to January 28th. So if she uh, she wins that, we'll go down to that banquet and she'll get presented with uh, quite a fancy belt buckle um, down there at the big gala. So that will be a crazy thing for her. We'll be rubbing shoulders some big names in the industry and she'll be getting an award right along with some of those people. So pretty cool. Yeah. That's one heck of a way to start your hunting career. I mean, the amount of birds you guys harvest plus uh, a deer of that size, that is a, uh, that's a great way to start a hunting career. That's for sure. I think I was shooting uh, one goose out of a corn cut cornfield and uh, shooting button bucks for my first deer. So, I I didn't start out that you know in the same the same realm. So hopefully she can keep it rolling. Uh, it's really cool that she she could get you know this award. That's really cool. Yeah, she's she's uh, making a bit of a name for, <laughs> name for herself real early on in her hunting career. So it makes me happy to see anyway get get her outdoors and away from. We don't believe in screen time or video games or anything like that. So we're we're outside learning learning about the outdoors and all that good stuff instead. So 
So uh, speaking of screen time, uh, you guys had the TV show. Um, so I think we talked about, we touched on it lightly because things weren't exactly set in stone or, or what the scheduling maybe um, when we did the first podcast we did. So, uh, which was over it like a year ago, I think. But if, do you have anything else you could, you could tell us about, you know, the TV show up there you guys <laughs> yeah. were doing? Yeah, so the other hectic thing we had going on is we have a contract with Sportsman Channel and we produced seven episodes of a TV show for them. Um, it's called The Future of Conservation. So a little bit of a different spin on things. You know, we're not we're not going out on guided hunts and filming, you know, shooting the biggest animal and that kind of stuff. We're, we're uh, talking about conservation, um, teaching youth, why we're out there um teaching youth how to preserve all of it so that um the next generation has the ability to hunt like we have for so many generations um i guess in essence we with the bird hunting anyway we teach all of the all of the necessary things that we need to do in order to keep producing birds and putting birds over the blinds and putting these new hunters in those blinds to keep harvesting the birds and keep our industry alive, I guess. So um, lots of instructional stuff. Um, we do smash birds, for sure. Um, there's a couple big game episodes in there, too. Um, but we do... Uh, we want to portray the right reasons why we're out there and how important it is to bring this next generation into the industry for the right reasons. Um, not just going out there and try, trying to shoot the biggest trophy, but what what it takes, all the scouting, um, all the habitat preservation, uh, maintaining those good relationships with your landowners that allow you to access the private land. Um, and how, especially with birds, um, lots of times we have flyers that get wounded and, you know, they can glide quite a ways away. Um, how important it is to always put in that extra effort to recover all of those birds and just, you know, general firearm safety. And in the end, um, spending that time with family out there. A lot of these episodes that are going to be airing are me and Sawyer and my dad out there. A um, couple close friends being part of it as well, but um, it's been a it's been a five generation thing for us, and we want to keep it going. Is this uh, is this something that's only is it Sportsman's Channel in Canada, or is it is it uh, everywhere? No, it'll be airing. Yeah, Sportsman Channel everywhere. Um, the first episode airs on Boxing Day. I'm not exactly sure what time i don't have the run schedule right in front of me but our first episode will be airing on boxing day so you'll, you'll have to tell me when open. that is i don't know what that is <laughs> okay December, we, sorry yeah we called december 26th the day after christmas we call it boxing day here so why is it called boxing day before we get into anything else i have no idea to be honest huh all right. Well, so, anyway. yeah, we'll be airing. Yeah, you can check your local TV guides or your local cable schedule there. But we'll be airing December twenty sixth on Sportsman Channel. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna look into that. I'm excited. Uh, 
how did you guys get to like from A to Z? Like, how did you get to the point where you were gonna do a like record a TV show? Like, did you reach out yeah. to somebody or did, like somebody reach out to you? Like, how did that work? Well, it goes against everything that I've been saying about <laughs> not watching kids be on their phones or on screen time or anything. Um, all of this stuff that has happened over the last two years, I guess now for me, has all been relationships that I've made just on social media. Um, posting our hunting things, talking to guys that have been in the industry, and just clicking with certain people and, you know, shooting for the stars, I guess. Um, always been a little bit of a dreamer and wanted to wanted to be in this industry and doing this kind of stuff. So as soon as anybody mentioned anything about it, I jumped all over it. I was like, who do I talk to? How do I get there? And um, yeah, we had it all nailed down before I went muskox guiding. Um, but then the muskox guiding, because it was the first time the season was open, we had a couple guys that have been in the industry for a lot of years um, with their own TV shows that came up there and I got to be quite close with a couple of them and they've been huge helping hands um, definitely want to give a shout out to TJ Swanky and Vanessa Harrop um, with Outdoor Quest TV this will be their 24th season on the air and they were up there muskox hunting and just like the most humble, most fantastic people ever. I still talk to them on a weekly basis. Um, wonderful. Uh, second group of guys, Jeff Coyle, um, descendants of the North. He was up there. Musk, well, he wasn't hunting. He was with the Old Smokes Coffee crew, which Tim owns. And Tim was a muskox hunter. But Jeff was up there in camp with us for a week, too. He's been a huge help. Um, I've actually borrowed his cameraman once or twice when my guy couldn't make it. So he came and helped us film some of this stuff. And, you know, just fantastic people that have been in the industry for 20 years and they don't look at me like I'm some kid trying to prove myself or whatever, right? Like they're, they're willing to offer advice and help you through it, make this a success. And people like that, I have a ton of respect for and, um, appreciation and admiration for everything that they've helped me out with. Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in as deep as you are, uh, but I feel the same way about just the podcast and like, even just you re like you were so openly nice when I first started all this stuff that we kind of connected super early in my stage of doing what I, what I'm doing now. And so, uh, like you're, you're one of them, but I, I mean, there, there's been a bunch of guys, there's some that are, there's some that, that aren't as nice as others, but, uh, for the most part, man, everybody seems to be just super cool in, in this industry in the outdoor industry. Um, and that's, it's been, uh, it's been really nice because no matter what happens throughout this, I know that in five years, I I'm going to still have connections and friendships that I made through I've, I've connected with people locally here around me that I didn't know were so big into hunting and had their own pages and their own communities. 
And uh, now I have really good friends because of it. And I, I get to hunt with them on a regular basis now because of that. It's, it's super cool. You know what? It's a fantastic thing. Um, there's so many antis against the hunting industry. And that is the only thing that has kept us going. And, and you know, um, they would have loved to have shut us down years ago. But it's the tight-knit group of people that are willing to help each other out and fight for what we love doing and fight for our passion that make it a success. If it was a cutthroat industry and nobody wanted to help anybody out, it, w- it wouldn't be successful anymore. It would have flopped a long time ago. Um, there's the odd, the odd guy out there, especially in the outfitter world that's in it for himself. Um, I've made it a point to never, I, and I won't mention any names because that that's not who I am either, but um, I will never play that game. Um, somebody like Kevin that has been in this industry for 40 some years and is super successful. He doesn't need to help somebody like me out. And he has went over and above. Um, he, he promotes our guiding outfit, even though he guides for the same stuff. Um, he has introduced me to booking agents. He has introduced me to potential clients and, you know, been fantastic that way. And I will always do the same to people. And in the end, it works better, right? I have a bear hunter come up and get talking about everything else that I guide. Mentioned muskox. He's like, oh man, I want to hunt a muskox. We cross sell hunts to each other. Um, you know, it's that's what this industry is all about. And that's what we need to keep doing and need to promote more um, having each other's back and working with each other instead of against each other. For sure. I, and with this being an industry that not only people are fighting against, but also an industry that's just naturally dying, um, it it does take everybody. Uh, obviously, there there will always be the bad apples. I've, I've met people, I've talked to people on the podcast, um, been at sportsman shows and talked with folks that were just downright ignorant. And uh, they, you know, they, they didn't care what anybody else was doing. They thought that they could do no wrong. They were the best of the best. And uh, often the people who feel that way and think that way aren't going to be successful for very long anyway. Um, just right. just because you got to eat some humble pie here and there uh, from, from time to time to make sure that your feet are still on the ground uh, and, and you're still pushing forward. So I, I feel that um, it's not a good thing to be that way, but there are people who are like that, but for majority of the part, man, everybody from the, the biggest names down to the smallest names, majority of everyone is, is, uh, you know, not everybody's a, the Facebook warriors who comment mean things to other people. I, yeah. I think most people are, are genuinely good people. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we need that more than ever up here right now with the way our gun laws are trying to, go um we have a huge fight on our hands uh this bill c21 that they're trying to make amendments to is going to put a bunch of hunting firearms on the prohibited list and it's just it's right out of control and without us being a group working together we're going to lose this fight and we we can't have that they're going to take away our heritage our passion um it's a it's 
it's disgusting what they're trying to do. Um, backdoor deals within the government and just corruption and there's, you know, anything that has a black stock on it is an assault weapon and, you know, any semi-automatic is an assault weapon and, like, it's it's right out of hand and we gotta, we gotta put a stop to it. We need a change in government um, to protect our rights. We don't have the Second Amendment right like you guys do, but I mean, they for years we haven't been allowed. Our all of our handguns are considered a restricted weapon. If I own a handgun and I own property, I can't shoot my handgun on my property. I can only shoot it at an approved range, and I have to have a permit to take it back and forth from A to B in a direct route. Now they're adding so many different hunting rifles to this prohibited list. They've put a handgun import freeze on. They've put a handgun sale freeze on. I can't sell a handgun that I have to somebody else that's a licensed firearms owner. I cannot transfer ownership of that handgun. They've frozen everything. I don't understand how a country... this This is probably what majority of the U.S. thinks as well. As someone who looks from this side of the border north. I always thought that Canada was just the cool country that uh, didn't have all the BS problems that our government has and doesn't have corrupt, like all this corruption and yada, yada, and people trying to work together and do those backdoor deals. And this is the first time I ever took notice to, um, the Canadian government taking steps like this because I also grew up thinking that Canada was it's the wilderness like it's like the last frontier it's like the only it's like the only thing left <laughs> yeah. it's like I, I was like they, they need guns up there like there's there's deer up there bigger than black bears we have around here like you got to protect yourself up there and I, so I just don't I don't get it I don't where does it come from? Are the murder rates in Calgary through the roof? Like, what's doing it? Because no. I I live I live an hour from Baltimore City. I work in Baltimore and D.C. Baltimore's Baltimore, Chicago, murder capitals of the U.S. Um, there were more murders last year than there were days in the year in Baltimore. Um, some weekends there would be ten total shootings, kids, everything. And we, even though they are fighting it, we do, we still have the right. I can go buy a handgun, but people who live in, you know, negative 50 degree weather can't have a handgun. Like I don't, I do not understand. It doesn't make sense to me. Oh, me as a hunting guide, when I'm out in the tundra, hundreds of miles away from civilization, I cannot carry a sidearm with me to protect myself from a bearing ground grizzly bear that is going to come to my kill. Well, you can, you just don't tell people. It's, it's just like what I do when DNR told me, Mike, you can carry this bow, but you can't carry your 380 because that means you, you are carrying two weapons and that's against the law. And I said, okay, uh, who's going to protect me 
when a pack of coyotes runs in on me in the mountains and, or I get between a sow and some cubs at dusk. And they said, uh, sorry about your luck. So I said, okay, right. I'll just carry the gun then because I will make the decision whether or not I need to protect myself. Well, and the problem with that is like, I'm all for it, but the problem with that is now that it became my livelihood, I get caught with something like that and they'll pull my outfitter license and I will be completely finished, right? It's not a matter of fighting a charge like a normal citizen would, right? You lose your livelihood. So we have to play by all the rules. And I mean, in essence, we have an idiot in power that knows nothing about any of it. And it has nothing to do with murder. It has nothing to do with any of that. It is a moron who thinks that he is going to have total government control. We disarm the citizens and we take control. That, that is, there's nothing more to it than that. Same reason why when we went through COVID, he just started printing money and handing money out like crazy. If we can convince these people that it is too dangerous for them to work every day and make them dependent on the government handouts, Pretty soon, we give them enough that they say, why would I work? I can make enough money getting handouts from the government. So nobody wants to work. All of a sudden, your income is being handed to you as an allowance from the government. You have no rights, no legal rights, no means to protect yourself because we have let the government disarm us all. Then they have total control. They will own our homes. They will own our businesses. They will own everything, and they will dictate to us what we can spend our money on. We have printed so much money, our inflation rate is through the roof. Bank of Canada is raising interest rates like exponentially. When people's mortgages come up for renewal in the next few years, they are not going to be able to afford the homes that they have been living in for the past 10 years paying their mortgage because the interest rates are going to jack their mortgage so far through the roof that they're not going to be able to afford to pay their mortgage anymore in a home that they've been living in for 10 years. And then the government is going to offer to buy that home and let you keep living in it instead of foreclosing on you. And then they will have control of your home as well. Well, I think that uh, that government up there is a little too friendly with our blue government down here. And be, just because it seems that every time something woke happens with the U.S. government, some sort of stipulation comes out of a ruling or uh, a bill in the United States, it just seems like Trudeau is riding coattails or trying to be proactive so he looks like the bigger blue a-hole. So it's it, it, he's just following the same guideline that, here in the United States, it's, as you said, we have the Second Amendment. So the amendments don't mean as much as they once did, but there's still a, a battle to be fought here that the government knows they have to go to war. Like, not not legitimately physical war, but it's going to be a knockdown drag out with the public here, whereas uh, the, the Canadian government kind of has the ability to just hey, here's what we're going to do. And so it just seems like you guys are getting, you know, the crap end of the stick because you guys didn't have like the Second Amendment in place 
Biden would love to do the same exact thing. He just can't do it. But there, there right. are other things going on here. It's it's just the same. And it's uh you know, it's just like farmland around here is disappearing at a at a fairly outstanding rate, uh, to the point where construction companies from here are actually moving states away uh to set up shop because they they're gonna run out of work. They're not they're gonna go bankrupt. And so they have to follow the work away from Baltimore and DC because everything's already developed and it's been developed at such a quick pace. Um, I can't afford to live where I grew up. That's, that is a fact that is not a, I'm not BSing. I can't afford to live where I grew up. Um, and we didn't grow up with a bunch of money. So things have changed so quickly. Um, vehicles are selling at an all time high with, with interest rates through the roof. Uh, people are paying $800 a month for a new SUV. And, um, it's just, it is, it's so crazy at this point, uh, that I just hope my kids don't have to live with this, that our government figures it out. Same with Canada. It's, it's, uh, it's scary right now, man. I, it's scary for us and scary for you guys. It's kind of, it's almost like they're following the same path, the same trajectory. And it's just, what can I get away with this week? What can we get away with that week? You know, our only saving grace is Alberta provincially has its own chief firearms officer who is awesome. Um, When Trudeau tried all this federally, our provincial government showed up and said, our police force is provincial. Like Trudeau wanted the police force to do a roundup on prohibited weapons. And our provincial government stood up and said, our police force is provincial and we do not support this. We will not send our police force door to door to do a roundup. We're not supporting it. Um, just recently they've, and I should have paid more attention, but there is a, there is some kind of an act now that they have invoked that Alberta does not provincially have to participate in the federal rules that they are trying to enforce. So that's a new battle that's just starting to be fought right now. Um, We've had some big groups like Delta Waterfowl, for one. Um, They are going to stand up and fight this fight for it. Um, Unlike Ducks Unlimited, who turned their back on it and wouldn't, you know, went more to the clean streams and habitat and wouldn't stand up for the hunters who built that organization. Um, Delta Waterfowl has stepped up. They will fight this fight for us. Um, I'm actually just starting a local Delta Waterfowl chapter here as well to um, put on some fundraising dinners and stuff and help out with that because they are going to fight this fight for us. That's really cool, man. Uh, look, I'm going to have to get it wrapped up because I got some meetings in the morning early and I was up at 1 a.m. this morning to go hunt divers. So <laughs> I am dragging that dedication. Right now. I would, as much as I am passionate about it, I will not get up at 1 in the morning to go hunt divers. Well, um, I like to eat them, but most people don't. And uh, we're, we're only one bird per person. So this morning we went out and set up five long lines and like five dozen single drops, like a hundred decoys, 
got there early, got there at like 3.30 in the morning to make sure we got our spot. And uh, we were allowed to shoot three three ducks. <laughs> That's wild, man. So, but yeah. That's on big water too, I imagine, hey? Yeah, we had about, when we came back in, it was probably about a foot chop. It was worse earlier in the morning. Uh, but yeah, we were on the Chesapeake Bay this morning. So. Right on. Well, but, I definitely appreciate you having me on again. That's awesome to chat with you and awesome to uh, spread the word about you know about conservation and about our guiding business and how cold it is up here yeah for sure man hey if i i'm going out saturday morning it's going to be about eight degrees out and when i go out saturday morning it's going to be the most miserable hunt of the year for me probably because it's going to be 20 (laughs) mile per hour sustained winds probably going to be like I think it's supposed to be a negative five to 10 real feel. And I, it's going to be the worst hunt of the year. Not the worst hunt. It's probably going to be a great hunt, but it's going to be the most brutal hunt of the year for me. So God bless you guys. You guys are, uh, you guys are putting in the work. Um, so, but Hey, uh, it's great talking to you again. I, uh, I hope to talk to you again, maybe within the next year and catch up and see what you're doing in the in the future and see, yeah, see how absolutely. everything panned out for you we'll uh we'll chat after our first spring bear camp heck yeah man hey good luck with everything and uh hey i hope your daughter wins man i i, I hope uh she's got a bright future ahead of her in the outdoor industry so thanks again man i really appreciate that good luck on your good luck on your hunting there for the rest of season two all right you too man i'll see you you bet take care Thank you.